Okay, family, so tonight we're going to finish Hebrews chapter 11. So we're going to be reading verses 30 through 40. Hear the word of God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That is the word of God. It can be either. It's just we're, we're just thanking God for this glorious word. We usually say thanks be to God, but praise be to God's wonderful too. I think you can express your thankfulness and cheerfulness to the Lord any way you want. It's good stuff. So one of the things that I really love about Tristan is that he has this incredible imagination. Actually, he probably has the most vivid imagination of all of our kids. He creates these detailed environments to execute his imagination in. The, the other day I was reading the Bible and some devotionals on the front porch, and Tristan was riding his scooter up and down the, the ramp that kind of goes to our front door. And he was playing with a, with a friend, and he had this police department and fire department all set up. And he was busy responding to calls, you know, uh, putting out fires and saving people who needed to be saved and arresting people who needed to be arrested, though we should probably review his body cam footage. Um, many times the jobs that Tristan talks about wanting to do in the future or, or the imaginative games that he plays are all centered around courageous acts police, firemen, rescue scenarios. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking that it's probably because intrinsically we are drawn to courageous acts and courageous people. And we probably all have a friend or acquaintance that has been through something that required courage to get through. We, we probably like to share that story with others because it's a compelling story when we retell people's courage. And it's also why I personally am drawn to stories of courageous people. And truthfully, I didn't get a lot of courage until I was out of high school. I had never ridden a roller coaster until I was in college. I was terrified of riding roller coasters. It's a true story. Now I'm more like Ricky Bobby, and I just want to go fast all the time. <laughs> or that Ricky, bah, he's a bad goat. Um, but in college, I was surrounded by courageous older men who led me and helped me grow and helped me shed fears that I had that allowed me to grow into a more courageous man. And even before we were, I was planning out how to break apart Hebrews 11, courage has been on my mind in these last few weeks, and it's evident in what I've been reading and what I've been recommending others to read. 
One of my favorite books, favorite leadership books, is a book called Endurance. It's about Ernst Shackleton. And uh, there was a PBS documentary of the same name. If you're not familiar with either the book or the documentary, it's one of my favorite books. It's about an Antarctic exploration that took place between 1914 and 1916, and they became shipwrecked. <laughs> yeah, and everybody died, and it was over. No, see, I didn't. I'm not going to give away the ending. But what I can tell you is that incredible courage from these men who were stranded on Antarctica for them to get back. So it's this incredibly compelling and incredibly compelling leadership story. And in this last few weeks, I've been reading a book called Last Stands: Why Men Stand and Fight When All Is Lost. And it's, it's a book about famous last battles. So um, the Alamo, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, and about 12 other chapters of battles. And it's a really powerful book because it's a detailed history of, the, of these stories of men who knew that they were going to die, but they never gave up. They, they fought courageously until the very end. And so all of these examples, Tristan's Games and the Courageous Men That Shaped Me, Shackleton and his crew, and all of the examples in Last Stands all have one thing in common in regards to the courage of the people that are mentioned. Their service and belief in something greater than themselves. Michael Walsh, who's the author of Last Stands, says it this way. He says, almost no one dies for an abstract idea. No one dies for democracy or fascism or communism or national socialism or Europe. And then he goes on to provide examples of what people are willing to die for. They're willing to die for the things that they believe in, especially religion, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. But I think that his, most, that his first point is the most striking, that no one is courageous or dies for an abstract idea. People are willing to put their lives on the line, even when they know all is lost, when it comes to defending or, or having trust in the thing that is most important in their lives. And I would argue especially since we're on a, a whole chapter that has to do with faith, that no one dies for what they don't have faith in. All of the men who, who fought the battles that I've been reading about knew they were going to die. They knew that all hope was lost, but they never, ever gave up because they had faith in the cause that they were fighting for. It was something that was greater than themselves. And I think that this kind of courage and faith is admirable, so much so that it is sprinkled in books and movies and popular, or maybe not so popular culture now. Uh, the undertones of heroism and courage are splattered throughout many of, of the big movie chains. I was thinking about you, Sophia, and your love of Marvel. It's all about heroism, and though we have another pastor friend that says he really dislikes the Marvel movies because they never end. There's probably something a little bit to that. But, but if courage is, is strength in the face of pain and grief and uncertainty, or the ability to do something that scares us, we can rightly assume that it must take faith to be courageous. <clears throat> faith in something greater than ourselves is what allowed the men in the books that I've mentioned to exert incredible acts of courage, in most cases with a 0% chance of survival. And so what about us? Are we a courageous people? Do we have real and true courage? Are we really serving something greater than ourselves? And then, what are we serving? Is it the right thing? What is our faith grounded in? And is, is it courageous faith? Are we really willing to die for what we have faith in? And so today's passage is, is going to give us examples and hopefully encouragement to have the most difficult kind of courage, which I think is godly courage. And the text begins with a continuation from last week, listing the examples of 
those people who came before Christ and their faith, reminding us that it was their faith that saved them, not their works. So verses 31, or sorry, 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Cliff Notes version, for those of you who are not familiar with the story of Rahab, Joshua, who, who succeeded Moses to lead the Jewish people into the promised land, sent spies into the land of Jericho ahead to scout out the land. And the spies were in fear of getting caught by the king, in, in fear of being imprisoned. And so Rahab, this prostitute, lets them stay at her house. She hides them. And there's some uncertainty whether it was a house or an inn that had, pro, that had prostitution, but it does show us that God can redeem even the most sinful of places. But the king of Jericho is angered. So he sends notice to Rahab demanding to know where the spies are. He wants to know where they are so that he can kill them. And so she lies and she basically tells them, this is Greek just in case you didn't know. She said, nope, they ain't here. <laughs> and, she, and she hides them because, as it says in Joshua 2.9, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And so, family, you, you see what it is? It was her faith that drove her to hide these men, even though it put her at this incredible risk to do so, risk of her life and her livelihood. And she did it with courage, but that courage came from following God's will. She was doing what was right because she knew it was what the Lord had commanded. And so she responds courageously to God's call, and ultimately for her, it ends up saving her and her father's household and all who belonged to her, all who were in her household. When they, they came to take Jericho, they saved Rahab and her family. So then this concept of faith and courage continues in verses 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. They put armies to flight. So again, we see the author providing these examples of men who fought courageously and faithfully and whose faith ultimately delivered them. And I, I really like the words in that passage that say, through faith conquered. It wasn't skill and might, though those things played in there, but it was faith. The faith that they were fighting for something that was just and right. Their faith was driving their courage and their confidence. But there's a hinge point in the passage. Because up until this point in chapter 11, we've seen example after example of actual people that the Jewish people would have known. They would have known stories or lineages. These were, these were real people. And the author is writing about it to, to be able to highlight that it was their faith that saved them. So we get these stories of their faith and their courage, how uh, they were able to do the things that God had called them to do. Because their trust in God allowed them to be fully in faith, which gave them to fight the battles that had to be fought, or to follow God's commands without knowing where it would take them, Abraham and Noah and, and Moses. And so I think that we can probably all really intellectualize that. Like we, we can understand how they did that, but it's harder to figure out how that applies to us here. So this is where this hinge point is, 35 through 38. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, 
refusing to accept release, so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This is a pretty rough section, especially if you think about our cozy backyard with a beautiful sunset here in Denver, right? But it's not too far off base if you were a Christian in Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or China or North Korea right now. So I want to break this down a little bit more. Verse 35, the word tortured is used. And in one of the commentaries I was reading as I was preparing, it said, tortured is from the Greek tympanzio, which is the, from the same root as the English timpani. You honor band kids hear this? A kettle drum. The particular torture referred to, in, to involve stretching the victim over a large drum-like instrument and beating him with clubs until they were dead. So the first thing that came to my mind is I can't look at Honor Band with Holden and Vaughn the same way anymore. But then the second thing that came to me was mankind can be incredibly cruel. If you don't believe mankind is sinful and total depravity is real, things like this are good reminders that man can do incredible evil to man. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Mocking, flogging, chains and imprisonment, all because of their faith. And we see this still now in many non-free countries. Faithful people are seen as an enemy of a big, tyrannical government because they have morals and beliefs that many times contrast with a regime's desire for total control and power. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They were stoned, and not the fun Colorado kind, right? They were sawed in two. They were alive when they were sawed in two. And then they were killed with a sword. These believers, rather than give in to the demands to turn away from their faith, stood courageously in their faith, and they died for their faith. And I don't think this is something that just happened in the past. Like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, There are very hostile parts of this world to people of faith. And there are still faithful people dying for what they believe in. I read a book a few years ago about two women in Iran who had been converted to Christianity and were running a house church, and they were illegally distributing Bibles to the Iranian population. They were sharing a message of love and inclusion and unity. And so the Iranian government arrested them, put them in jail, and tortured them for the next two years because they were reading Bibles and telling people that God loved them. But it was a huge threat to the Iranian government. And their story is incredibly powerful because they had people in the United States and they had people inside Iran fighting for their freedom, fighting for the things that were right. But the Iranian government said, all you have to do to get out of here is just renounce your faith. That's it. It's just that simple. Can you imagine how easy that temptation would be? If you you think back to all that we've looked at so far through almost 12 chapters, well, the end of 11 chapters of Hebrews, one of the things that we've seen continuously is contrast. The author uses contrast back and forth. And so we're seeing that again here in this section. There's these contrasting examples of courageous faith. First in verses 31 through 34, that is courageous faith that led to great earthly success. Jericho falling, 
Rahab and her household being protected, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, and Samuel, their courageous faith leading them to great victories. And then in 35 through 38, we see courageous faith leading to suffering, torture, and death. And as I was kind of wrestling with this and praying about this, what I think that the key is that it was never about the outcome for these courageous believers. It was about serving something greater than themselves. It wasn't about them, but it was about where their faith in God rested. It was their faith that drove them to courage, not the other way around. The outcome didn't actually matter because they cared about faithfully serving the Lord. It was your will, not mine, Lord. And so how can both of these groups respond so courageously and have totally different results? It's because they had true faith, which is really what we've been talking about for these last three weeks as we've broken apart Hebrews chapter 11. This difference between real faith and not. The difference between deep faith versus blind faith. The idea that where we place our ultimate trust is so important because where we place our ultimate trust, our faith, has to be in the thing that cannot fail us. And of course, for us, that answer is Jesus. Because the true faith is based on the assurance of salvation. That's where we get the courage to stand up and fight for the things that are right and true because we have faith in God and we trust his plan. 39 through 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Those who came before us had faith in the ultimate fulfillment of the eternal promises of God. They believed fully that God would keep his word and deliver them a Messiah and bring them salvation. They were serving and following and fighting and dying all courageously, because they believe with such deep faith, such deep conviction in the promises of God, even though they didn't ever get to see the Messiah in their lifetime. They were fighting for promises that they didn't get to yet realize, the promises that we get to participate in now. It wasn't just that they believed, but it was a part of who they were. Their faith was who they were. Romans 8.31 is one of my favorite verses. I had it etched because you can apple will etch things for free so i put bible verses on all my stuff because if i ever end up donating it later then someone's gonna be like what's rom 8-31 and google it and hopefully something will pop up but what it says is what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us and i think that this is where real faith comes from and real courage comes from if god is for us true to who he is true to the promises that he has made then who can be against us and you might be thinking to yourself, I was, do I really need the same level of courage as all of these people mentioned in this passage? I don't have wars to fight, and I probably won't be tortured for my faith. It's 2021, and it's still a mostly free country. And it may be hard to sympathize with our brothers and sisters who are currently being tortured and killed for their faith today because we're here, mostly comfortable. I was just also thinking this may be our last time doing this outside for the rest of the year, um, but mostly comfortable in the backyard, and we're about to eat a joyous feast and, and be in joyous fellowship with each other. It's easy to be disconnected with the, the torture that other people are experiencing when we're here comfortable, wondering if our Amazon package will get here by 10 o'clock tonight. But what I will tell you is that I think that you need at least the same amount of courage as these believers that came before us, if not more courage. Are you leaving? 
Say hi to Steph. Say flying. Everyone say bye, Jenna. Bye, Jenna. So a lack of courage has been slowly killing the American church. And if you don't believe me, go spend some time at any of the, the large mainline churches. Churches are giving in, folding under the pressure from, from culture to, to depart from clear biblical teachings regarding the sufficiency and accuracy of scripture, sexuality, marriage, life and death, sin, redemption, forgiveness, and leaning into cultural concepts of these ideas that are actually destroying the church. Because at one point, the church had a backbone. It used to be full of courageous men and women who were not defined by their standing in this world, but by their standing in Christ's kingdom. People who were, in call, were called to ensure biblical justice, love, forgiveness, and redemption were at the forefront of everything they did, whether it was in their personal or their professional lives. And the shame is that many pastors and churches today limit God's authority to the four walls of the church building. And they say, that's secular, this is holy, and we separate those two things. And they believe that Christ is only king over the church walls. And there's not much we can really do about this broken world around us. Outpost family, this is not so. I've said this many times, but it is worth repeating. We are a people of hope. And one of the reasons that I love the name of the church plant, Christ the King, isn't because it just happens to be the same name as the Catholic church Kristen grew up in. But it's where I get my courage from. Christ is the King. He is the King of everything. Let that sink in. Everything. This yard, this meeting, our church, your work, politicians, countries, seasons, whether the sun rises tomorrow, the food you like to eat, everything. Which means, if he's king over everything, that every single thing within his kingdom is redeemable. We saw that with Rahab the prostitute. Her whole household was redeemed because of her faith in God. I'll say that again. Because Christ is king over everything, that means that everything in his kingdom is redeemable. And that should be where we get our courage from. Like those who were tortured and sawed in half for their beliefs, or even those who were successful in courage and faith and conquered, they did so because they believed God is sovereign over everything. They had total faith in him. And it, it should come to you as no surprise that I believe what we're talking about within current culture, items like social justice and critical theory are unbiblical and dividing doctrines. And while we don't have time to get into the specifics here, but I will totally get into the specifics anytime anyone's interested, these have become a new religion, and it's antithetical to God's religion. And in fact, in both of these movements, we can see significant pushes to destroy things like the traditional family structure and also traditional moral values, which come from God. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't real injustice or real racism in the world, because of course there is. But a Christian's response to injustice must be based on God's law, God's economy, one that is focused on love and unity and forgiveness and a real understanding of how sin and evil work in this world and what our loving response to that should be. Because we have to be faithful. We have to stand firm in the truth, which will then allow us to be courageous. We stand firm in the face of evil. We never back down or bend to it, just because it may be culturally popular to do so. If we see injustice, we are called to right that injustice, but through love. We can stand firm and be loving at the same time. 
And so if we're claiming to be Christians, then we must have faith that God's economy is a better economy, that his will is better and smarter than our will. And it will take courage to stand up to, to pressures that exist in the world that are telling you to toss aside moral truths because everybody's just so much more enlightened now. Everyone just knows everything so much better now. Family, Christian courage is faithful courage. It is standing up for what is right regardless if it's popular. It's standing up for what is right even if you lose your job or your house or your friends or even your family. It's acknowledging that you aren't actually in control, but you're actually here to serve others, to be in loving service. To love your God with your whole heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Service of others and ultimately service of God. It's doing what is right even if you don't feel like it and even if nobody is watching. It's not rolling over or giving up because times get hard. Instead, it's, it's a reassurance that no matter how hard it gets, that you're not alone and you're actually serving something that is so great and so much more important than yourself. It is coming to a place of humility. It's thinking more, me thinking more about you than I'm thinking about me. Real faith and real courage are all about him and not about us. And while stories like Shackleton and, and the people that I've read about in The Last Stands are inspiring and they're full of courage, we must make sure that our courage is coming from the right place. We must check our faith we must check our hearts. If our courage isn't rooted in our faith, then it, it can't be long-lasting. We won't have the ability to stand firm forever. We'll find that our foundation wavers with the changing winds of human desires and sin and cultural pressures. But if our courage is rooted in our faith, in the unchanging, ever-loving, ever-saving God, then we actually get to be full of hope. No matter if we're victorious in our battles, or for sawn in half. And I asked you earlier if you were willing to die for your faith, and it's a very important question, because it will show where your heart is and, and where your priority for God is. And it, it's not a question to try to trip anybody up or, or for you to, to think, well, maybe I'm just not a Christ, good enough Christian because I'm not really ready to die for my faith. But what it does is it points us to show where we need growth. Where is God in my priority list? We've been talking about contentment at home this week, and Paul talks a lot about being content, and he talks about you know, being content when he has a lot or when he has a little because he can do all things through him who strengthens him, which is Christ. Friends, we can do all things through he who strengthens us, through faith. It doesn't matter what our standing in life is right now if we have faith in God because you can get through anything, and you can do it with love. It's really amazing. And I, I do promise you this, if you have deep faith in Christ, if you work on growing your deep faith in Christ, I'm sorry to turn around, but if y'all look, look at the dog. She just wants, she just wants to hear the preaching. I know. That's fine. Hi, Grace. But it was, sometimes it's worth, oh my gosh. It's, I only have three more sentences. Um, but <laughs> here's what I promise you. If you have deep faith in Christ, or if you are committed to growing deeper in your faith in Christ. You'll find that you have deep courage to do anything and survive anything. You'll be able to live out and internalize the words of the Lord as they were spoken to Joshua. In Joshua 1.9, the Lord says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray.